We're going to continue this morning in our series called um, Getting Started. And so what this is, this is a field guide um, to the Christian life. And so what we're trying to do is trying to, to help all of us see what it, what it looks practically to be a follower and disciple of Jesus Christ. And so um, a few weeks ago, Patrick Spence talked about what it looks like for us to abide in Jesus. He, he tells us inside the scriptures to abide in his love. And so that is our first priority is our relationship with Christ in, in the Father, to abide in that. Then last week, he talked about what it looks like to love the spiritual family. And so we aren't created to, to be individual long-ranger Christians. We were created, we were meant and created for community because our God is in community. Father, Son, Holy Spirit created together the triune God. They are in a community. And so therefore, Spence, Pastor Spence charged us to go love our spiritual family because God has loved us in Christ. And so for the next two weeks, we're going to be um, charting through what it looks like to be on the mission of God. And so this week, I'm charting through the gospel for the nation. And so what it looks like to be, um, be joining in on God's mission um, internationally. And then next week, Pastor Spence is going to talk about what it looks like for us to love our city. Um, and so um, with that, um, let me uh, dive in. So when I thought about this topic, I was having a hard, hard time um, because I had, I, I had some baggage when it came down to international missions, right? Um, growing up, I grew up inside the, the traditional black church. Um, and um, when I heard the word missions, all I thought about was older black women wearing these white dresses I'm selling chicken dinners for the building fund. And so that building fund went on for about 50 years. I don't know where that, where that money went, but, but, but that was my first introduction to uh, missions. And then secondly, if this offends you, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, secondly, um, I, as I got a little bit older, um, all I thought missions was was for affluent uh, youth groups. They would go off to Africa or Haiti, um, snap some photos with little African babies and um, with big stomachs and, and put a hashtag love, love the nations or something like that. And so that, that was my second example when it came down to international missions. And then lastly, as I got a little bit older, understood it a little bit better, uh, because of my simple heart, I thought mission was for the spiritual elite. For those that, that were only sold out for Christ, and I'm not sure who I'm talking to today, but that may be you. You think that the mission of God is for the spiritual elite and that you cannot join in on God's mission. But I want you to know today that God is sending you. Um, when Jesus Christ came from heaven and he came down to earth, lived life you could not live, died a death that should have been yours, he saves you not to sit, but he saved you to be sent. That's why God created you. That's why God made you. He didn't create you just to sit here. He created you to hear his words so you can go out and be on his mission. And so, in fact, um, Ed Stetcher would say it this way. That it's not that God's church has a mission, but God's mission has a church. Let me say it again. It is not that God's church has a mission, but God's mission has a church. You're wondering, well, what does that mean? Well, first, the mission is to reconcile everyone to his son, Jesus Christ. See, the church, we were created to serve to be the expression of God's mission, God's sentness. God, the missionary God, came and sent his son, Jesus. Jesus is sent from the Father towards us, and we're just the expression of that sentness. 
going to the lost world that don't know who the Father is, and, and that's who we are as a church. And so mission is not something that we do, but it's who we are. Within our DNA, as a believer of Christ, you are a missionary. You are wired for that. You are are wired to model your daddy, the the father above. You were created like him to image him and to mirror him. You were created to be sent. So we were saved not to sit. We were saved to be sent. So with that, we're going to be inside Luke chapter 10, um, verses 1 um, through um, 12. And so... um, this, this text is very, very heavy, and so put on your, your seatbelt because it is going to get a little bit rough. And so um, as, as we dive in, I want to just navigate through uh, what we're going to um, hit. First, we're going to talk about how we are sent from, from Luke, and then we're going to talk about a little bit later on why we are sent. Then lastly, we're going to talk about what are we to do. So with that, Luke chapter 10, verse 1. I know some of y'all are still trying to, trying to find the text. You got it. Say, what's up? If, if you don't got it, say, hold up. All right, I'll, I'll wait for you. I got you. I got you. All right. Y'all ready? All right, cool. Um, first one. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. All right, so if we look at this verse, I want y'all to look at these two words. It says, um, the Lord, talking about Jesus Christ, he appointed the 72, uh, meaning what was happening right before this inside Luke um, chapter 9. He sent out the, the, his 12 disciples um, to be on his mission. He told them the very same things he's telling these people, the 72 disciples. But then towards the end of Luke 9, he challenges them with this. He says, for you to follow me, it's going to cost you absolutely everything. It's going to cost you everything. And so he, t- he, he, scared, he tells them that. It can sound a little bit scary, but the text is going to show us why this is important. Uh, so he tells them that, and then he says he appointed them and he sent them. Stare at those two words, appointed and sent. This may not seem like nothing for you, but it should be a big deal. The God of a universe and the person of Christ Jesus came down from heaven, looked upon a bunch of strangely um, folks and says, I'm appointing you, and I am sending you. He didn't look at the spiritual elite. He was was looking at at some folks that were just ordinary people like you and I, and he sent them. And he looks at where he was about to go, so on his mission. So God had a mission. He looked at people, ordinary people like you and I, and he sent us, which brings me to my first point. You are sent by Jesus for Jesus, and that should rock your soul, that the king of the universe saw you in mind in your sinful self, and he looked at you and said, I am appointing you, and I am sending you. But he not, only t- not only is he sending them for him, um, he's sending them to do something else. Look at verse 2, and he, and he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his mission. So this is the famous, famous verse that we see among inside the Christian church. The harvest is is plentiful, meaning there is a great need for me to be made known um, around the whole entire world. Granted, there are 72 people here. So that means there are millions of other people that don't know who Jesus is. So this is a very, very mass, massive harvest. And he says, the laborers are few. There's not a lot of people that are going to be on it. But then he tells them to do something. He says, therefore, 
pray earnestly. Tells them to pray earnestly. Let's bring you to my next point. We are sent not only uh, for Jesus, um, by Jesus for Jesus, we are sent to be laborers. Um, at this time, as we saw above, there was people that didn't know who Christ was, the whole entire known universe. Let that soak in. Every single person that was not inside the Eastern world and within that little pocket of Judea and, 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 um, and, and Jerusalem, they had no clue who Jesus was. And he gave them this massive, colossal, giant mission. He says, um, the harvest is plentiful, laborers are few. Then he says, guess what? You are the laborer. You are the laborer. I'm not looking for, for the elite. Um, Joe, I'm sending you. If I was looking for the elite, I would have chose the Pharisees. I would have chose the, the, the scholars. But I chose you, untrained, just ordinary you, and I'm sending you out among my mission to be a laborer. We are sent by Jesus to be laborers. And so um, I need y'all to just grapple this a little bit. Some of us think, some of us think we can't be used by God because we don't know anything. We don't know the Bible. We're not ready to take these radical steps. And so therefore we're wilting away. We're wilting away. But I need you to understand this. God is sending you. He's calling you to be his laborer. But he tells him to do something very, very important. He says, therefore, Pray earnestly. So to labor means first to pray. He says, if you're, you're going to be about my mission, I need you to pray. Why, why, do, he, why do he do that? Because prayer causes dependence. The disciples, um, they wouldn't go if it wasn't first led by prayer. No one in their right mind would go to all these random villages and, 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 and leave everything, to leave uh, all the comforts of home if it wasn't led by prayer. So for us sent people, to be first to be sent by God, we got to know that God is sending us. And we can't know if God is sending us if we're not praying to him. So my question for you as it relates to God's global mass mission, are you praying for the mission of God? Are you praying for God to use you? Are you praying for the Lord to use you? Now, I'm not trying to guilt you. I'm trying to motivate you that when you leave this place, you can start praying. Ask God to use you. He has a mission. He has a mission, and our prayer allows us to discern where exactly he is calling us to. Because everyone in this room, you are sent by Jesus. You are called to be a laborer. You are sent. You're not insignificant. You're, You're of all significance because the God of the Bible, Jesus, saw you and called you significant. And he called you to be used by him. You are sent. But let's see what he says as it relates to our sentness in verse 3 and 4. Look what he tells them to do. He says, go on your way, and behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, carry no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one. So he says, go on your way. So he says, all right, um, I've sent you. I told you what, what to do, but, but here, here's some things I need you to understand. Go and, and behold. 
So he's telling them, hey, check this. I'm sending you out as lamb among wolves. So this, this lamb among wolves has a two-part reality. First, it meant that the, that the, the task is going to be very, very difficult. So when Jesus was sending it, he didn't say, hey, I'm sending you, and so you can go sit in a coffee shop, sip on, on lattes, and, and, and chew on bubble gum. That, that, ain't, that ain't what he said. He says, I'm sending you as lamb among wolves. This task is going to be very, very difficult. So he was, he was warning them up front, it's going to be very, very difficult. But what he told them before, to pray. So he got their back. And then secondly, he, he says, uh, what this verse means is that as we go, because we are fleshly people, our temptation is trying to coerce people into God's kingdom. He says, I want you to be a lamb among wolves, not, not a shark, a lamb among wolves. The wolves, this lost and dangerous world, and I'm not calling you to, to be this Christian that's hitting people upside the head with my message and being rude about it. I'm calling you to be a lamb. As Jesus was, Jesus was fierce. He, he was very specific in, with his message. He didn't back down, but he was not a jerk. He was not a jerk. He said, I'm sending you as lamb among wolves. And then, and then he, says, he says, says to them, he says, take no money, take no bed, take no food, take no clothes, and greet no one. And so the reason why he told them not to greet, because he didn't want them not to have friends, that was not why he told them not to greet. He told them not to greet was because Jews would take all day when it comes down to their, their greetings. And so anyone from a Jewish background, you know what that, that is. It will take hours to greet someone because that was within their, um, their, their context. So he told them, don't greet anyone. I'm calling you immediately, expediently to get up and go. See, some of us are waiting and asking God um, for some direction, which is true. We need to pray. But some of us, God has given us direction, and we're, and we're sitting. And I'm sitting like... Like, my, my, my journey here in Charlotte, it, it was a two years of, of fighting God and, and not wanting to move from comfort. And that's what this is, this reality is of take no clothes, take no bed, um, take and greet no one. That is, he's telling them, don't, don't cling to the comforts of, of what you have back home. I'm telling you not to cling to that. So what is, what, what is the point? What is the point here? Jesus sent them with nothing but yet with everything. Going back to point one, we were sent by Jesus, so we have everything that we need in the cross of Christ. And some of us don't believe that. We don't believe that when God put his mission out in front of us, that he is sufficient for everything that we need. He's all that we need. But he tells them, don't take no money, no bed, no food, because the fact is that he wanted them to depend upon him. To, um, he wanted to make them humble and dependent upon his grace. And this may sound crazy, but this is actually a gracious thing. God called them um, to, to, to leave the comforts of home so therefore they can see that within him they have comfort. In him they have peace. In him he's everything that they need. He's doing you a favor by telling you to, to don't grip to these things that's holding you back. And, and you, you're seeing it as, as God being cruel, but he's being gentle and kind. He's being gentle and kind by telling you, hey, man, I'm, I, I'm telling you, this is no good for you to hold on to, to these things. 
So there's some of us in this room, no matter where God's calling you to China or God's calling you to Charlotte, there's some things right now that are hurdles for you that you're not willing to let go. And you're seeing those things as ultimate in everything rather than seeing God as everything. What is it for you? What, what is gripping your heart right now more than Jesus? You don't know what that is. I'm, I'm imploring you to pray right now and asking the Lord, what is gripping me more than Jesus right now? What are some hindrances that are keeping you back from joining in on God's mission? God has a mission. He has a mission. What's holding you back from joining in on it? Mission is about worship. We worship the all-supreme, mighty God because, why? Because he saw you in your wretched sinfulness and gave you new life. And as a believer, mission is just an expression of our thankfulness to what God has done for us in Christ. It is about worship. So you were created for worship. You look inside Genesis. Genesis chapter 1, it says that God created us in his image, and he told us to be fruitful and, and to multiply. And, and so therefore, we, if we can summarize that, it says, basically it means that we were created to worship and to adore and to be for God. So if that is true, we're created for worship. Missions is about worship. My question for you is, what are you worshiping more than Jesus? What is it? What are you cherishing above him? Jesus says this, that whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will save it. By joining in God's mission, God is offering you to forsake what you think that's going to bring you joy and actually allowing you to enter into real joy. See, many of us, we think that that missions is about going, which it is true, but we're going for the glory of God. The missions is, is about God doing work inside of your heart because the reality is whenever you let go of, of the stuff and let go of comfort and let, let go of the pride, God is starting to work in, in your heart and your heart be slowly and slowly letting go of the grip of, of this Americanized dream that you think you, you should live and allowing you to live the Christian dream, and that is to live for the Lord. He did it with the disciples. He took 12 cowards, turned them into 12 martyrs. I'm not saying you're, you're going to die. What I'm saying is it's going to cost you the life you think that you should live. That's what God's mission does. It calls you out of what you think that your life should be. Anyone who's been walking with the Lord for a long time, old, old, old school saints can, can attest to that. Their life is not how God has intended, I mean, how they intended that it should be, but it's much more richer because they are following God's will. Some of us in this room, what is gripping you? What is gripping you? The mission of God is for you. But you got to realize that we are sent with nothing, yet with everything. Let's keep reading. Verse 5 through 9. says, whatever house you enter, First say, peace be to this house. If a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you and remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. For the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whether you enter a town or they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick 
in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. So after Jesus got them praying, after he got them them going, and after he put their hearts in the right place, he gave them some more specific instructions for for ministry. Um, He says they are not to be distracted by material concerns. Um, Rather, they are to be dependent upon him. And he says when they enter into these towns, as we look inside the the text, um, that they are unfamiliar with, um, they are to depend on the generosity of the folks that will welcome them in um, of that community. So what, what does this mean? All right. Is Jesus, again, telling us to go, go be, be, be homeless, right? Is he telling us just to, to be beggars? No. He's calling us to be dependent. But when we are um, de- dependent, um, that's, that, is, that, that is when um, he, he starts to really to work on, on our soul. Because dependent people are needy people. And then he calls them to, to this. He, he says to heal the sick and announce the kingdom. And so you can't heal people. You can't announce the kingdom if you don't stay there for a while. And he tells them, he says, remain in the same house. Rest, um, be there if, they, if the person peace accepts you. And so what he called them to go do in this text, he calls them um, to stay and invest. See, uh, this reality of healing the sick and preaching at the 9 a.m. service, I realize I wasn't clear here. This re- reality of healing the sick is more than just laying hands on people. It is bringing about the works of God as it relates to social justice. So everything that involves ushering the kingdom of God, Jesus modeled this for us within um, the Bible. As we're leading up inside Luke, you'll see all these healings, all these miracles, all these casting out demons and all this stuff. Those things were meant to be signs that the kingdom of God has come near, as he says later on in the text. To be signs that, that God has come. It was prophesied before inside, inside the Old Testament that this was going to be the realities that was going to, to come. And so he tells them to proclaim the kingdom and to demonstrate the kingdom. And that's what staying and investing means, to, to proclaim the kingdom and to demonstrate the kingdom. Now, for many of us, God may not be calling us to, to, to China but God is calling you somewhere. And what does it look like for you to stay and invest? What does it look like for you to, to go love our, our city? Charlotte is the number one place. You guys know this stat. Number one place for sex trafficking. Does that bother you? Charlotte is, is, is top where, where if you're born in, into poverty, you'll stay in poverty. Does that bother you? The mass incarceration rate in our country is outstanding. Does that bother you? There, there are a lot of boys and girls that don't have moms and dads. Does that bother you? It should, because it bothers God. That's what staying and investing looks like. You serving the needs of the community. So my question for, for you is, what it look like for you to stay and invest? God is not calling John, Bob, and Jane. He's calling you. He's calling you. He sent you to stay and invest. He's not calling the, the, the he is calling us, us as pastors to go do it, but he's calling everyone in this room to stay and invest. That's what it looks like to be, to be a sent person, to be a person that is creating the image of God, is that we bring forth the kingdom of God in gospel proclamation, but also in gospel demonstration. 
what does it look like for you to stay and invest? Locally, for um, what it looks like, we make disciples, right? That is our, our higher priority. Matthew 28, go make disciples of all nations. We make disciples. We serve the needs of, our, of the city, and we plant churches so we can see a gospel renewal. Mercy will say it this way. We want to see a gospel awakening in Charlotte that is carried to the ends of the earth. And so what we mean by this is that we want to see the kingdom so, so buried inside the city of Charlotte that some of us, a good portion of us, would decide to go take that somewhere else. You can't decide you want to hop on the airplane and be about God's mission. It starts now. How are you staying in investing in the needs of the community. You're you. you are God. The gospel is, is about you. It's for you, but it's not, not about you. It, it is about the, the worship of the glory of God. And some of us make Christianity all about us. Our, our salvation all about us. You are not created, you are not created just to be so self-infused. You were created for greatness. And the greatness is to make, make for the kingdom of God wherever that you will go. To stay and invest is not, it's not just, it, it, is, it, is, um, um, it is in here, but it also means to stay and invest over there. So whenever you do get on the airplane, whenever you do land inside China or wherever God will, will call you, you are to be a trained missionary in knowing how to love the city and proclaim the gospel because you have been doing it here. We're called to stay and invest. And so, so with that, we have some practical things for you. Um, um, as you guys know, Mercy goes on, on mission trips all the time. And, and we do this for this very particular reason, is that we want to expose you to the mission of God. We want you to see what God is doing. We want you to see the, the, the lostness that is around our world. In fact, we got a team right now there in South Africa that that is serving over there, and our prayer and hope that a few, few people from that team will want to stay forever. They want to stay and see God's name be glorified in South Africa. So you, here's a practical step for you. If you know and if you feel that God is asking you to go overseas, or if you're even curious, you know what? I don't know. I'm, I'm curious. I want to know about this whole Christian thing and missions. We want you to, to, to text non um, 08-229-4921, and text missions. And so we have about 16 trips going on from Ireland um, to Southeast East Asia, and, and we want to, to introduce you to what God is doing. It's just an easy, easy step. You got to raise, raise some money. That's, God, God provides everything. He owns everything, right? So money's not, not, not the issue. It's are you, are you going to go? God, God got some money. He's, he's the richest, thing, richest person in the whole world. Are you going, going to go? So no matter what God is calling from, from China to, to Charlotte, we are to stay and invest. All right, let's keep reading. Um, Luke 10, um, 10 through 12. It says, but whatever you enter into a town and they do not receive you, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day than Sodom, um, on that day for Sodom than that town. All right. There's, there's a lot of stuff in this, in this one little, 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 few little verses, and I ain't got time for that. 
Um, so I, I, I am going to make this as simple as, as possible. We are sent to speak. If you look at it, it said he told them to say. It's the second time he told them to proclaim what? That the kingdom of God has come near. So yes, gospel demonstration and gospel proclamation. God is about both of these things. About his kingdom being manifested inside every city, every language, every, every tribe that is known for him, for him to be manifested there, but also for his name to be glorified. That the kingdom of God has come near. Christ has come near. We are saved and we are sent to speak. And so um, we're going to handle a little bit about this dust deal um, where he says, even the dust of your town that clings to your feet, wipe off against him. And he talks about that it'll be more bearable um, for them than the day of Sodom. Basically what he is saying is someone rejects um, the message that, I, that you bring to them is that there's judgment upon them. right? Dang. But he didn't tell them to bail immediately. And a lot of times when we see this passage, we, we think, oh, someone doesn't want, want to hear the gospel, so I'm just going to move on to the next person. That is not what Jesus is meaning here. Um, he's meaning after constant what? You are to be laborers, right? After constant laboring, and they reject the laboring of months, years, or whatnot, and they refuse to accept the gospel message, then he tells them to move on because judgment is coming towards them. So but what does it look like for you to labor among people that don't want to hear his message? That friend you may share the gospel with, you may have shared the gospel with once. Um, stats and studies show that it takes a person six, seven times to know the gospel, to, to accept the gospel before they actually, actually um, um, own it as, as themselves. Um, how, how many of y'all have been the product of someone constant sharing? Uh, multiple, multiple times to where it took a while for someone to share the gospel with you, and you're like, dang, I finally got it. I'm, I'm, I'm that. My, my dad was a church planner and, and pastor. And it took about six or seven times until finally to where, to where the, the gospel became true for me, to where I saw the, the reality of my sinfulness, and I saw the, the reality of God's gratefulness and, and his grace, and, and it floored me. I heard it a million times that it didn't do nothing to me until, until the time where God awakened my soul to see the glorious realities of his grace. God sent you to speak. You will know when it's time to dust off your feet, basically to, to, to get on with it. But if God didn't tell you to move, you sit there and stay with that person. You keep loving on that person. You keep demonstrating the gospel to him. You keep proclaiming the gospel to him. He sent you. He sent you. We say this all the time around mercy. Who is that person that is far from God but that is near to you? Who is that person? Or people? Or maybe your whole office building? Who is it? But he sent this to speak, whether in Charlotte or in China. So, so the reality is, where do, where do we go from here? Um, why, why do we go? Why do we go on missions? I talked about it a little bit, but I want this to be abundantly clear for us. We don't go because there's 3.1 billion people that don't know who Jesus is around the world. That's not why we go. We don't go because there's 7,079 unreached people groups that don't have the gospel in their language. That is not why we go. 
We don't go because we think that it is our Christian duty for us to go overseas or, or to go across the street. That is not why we go. We go because we love the glory of God. Missions exist because God is great and worthy to be known and love for his infinite excellence. The excellence of God is the ground of missions, and the God-exalting worship is the goal of missions. God wants all people to worship him. He wants all people to know him because he realized that he is the greatest thing for them. We go for the glory and the majesty of God. But I think for many of us, we fail to see the infinite excellence of God's glory because of our sin. I remember when I was about um, six months ago, me and my wife decided to go on an anniversary trip. It was our five-year anniversary, and um, we wanted to go to, to Charleston uh, because all y'all Southern folks kept telling us how awesome uh, uh, Charleston was. For y'all who don't know me, I'm from, I'm from Texas, the, the, the great state. I just had to get that out there. Um, um, and, and, and so we, we decided to go. As soon as we got there, a cold front hit Charleston. They, they had a cold front in, in a hot second. And, and then, then when I stepped in town, they, a cold front happened. And then 10 hours later, I got a stomach bug. All the food, all the culture, all the glory that it is to be in Charleston, I could not experience because the fact is that the cold front, my sickness was getting in the way. For many of us, your sin is tripping you up from seeing the mission of God. Your sin is tripping you up from seeing the excellence, the almighty, the all-supremacy reality of what it is to be in love with God. Your sin is not a liability to you. It's actually a setup so you can see the grace that we have in God in Christ. Christ came from heaven. He saw you in, in your mess. You couldn't clean yourself up, so he came for you, and, and he lived for you because you couldn't live for yourself, and he died for you because you had a death that you deserved because of your sin, and then he resurrected from the grave, and he saw you in mind so you can worship the majesty of God. You were created not to sit, but you were created to be sent. With that in mind, I got six things for us to do. Six things for us to consider about our sentness of being um, God's people. Number one, this has to be a priority. Love your God. This is important. Missions is about worship. We love missions because missions is about God. It's about his name being known. For some of us that don't know Jesus, that might sound selfish. It might if he, if he wasn't God. God knows how glorious he is, and so he wants everyone to, to know about his glorious grace. Point number two, love the local family. When we go overseas, we, people don't go individually. Well, Jesus told them to go two by two because the goal is to plant churches, to plant indigenous churches that will reflect the city, and so therefore they can continue to keep planting churches. But in order for that to happen, for us to go over there, you got to learn to love the local church. And so for some of us, a good step for us to join in on God's mission, join the church. If not this one, there's a lot of good churches in, in Charlotte. Join a church. Stop being a long-ranger Christian. 
that may be your next step from sitting to being sent is joining the church. Number three, make disciples. Jesus modeled to us disciple-making that led to the mass evangelization of his mission. And so if you notice, you look and stare at the scriptures, um, Jesus didn't go with the crowd, even with the faithful few. He had 12 guys, specifically three, and he discipled them. That eventually led to millions of people knowing who he is. You can make disciples. To get in on, on God's mission, you can make disciples. If you don't know how to make disciples, ask someone to disciple you. How, how do you, you know to find someone to disciple you? Get inside a, a community group. I got about a lot of, of, of our older folks in our, in our church that are begging to disciple some, somebody. You want to get disciples? Shoot me, me an email. We, family, this is important. This is absolutely important. God looks at you and he, he thinks, he, th- not he thinks, he knows, he knows that, that if you are created for his greatness. Get in a discipling relationship. Expose yourself. There'll be freedom there. Make disciples. Number four, pray for the family. And so um, going back to, to uh, verse number two, it talks about um, praying um, for, for laborers. Um, JoshuaProject.net has a lot of good stats and a lot of things um, about what's going on around the world. I encourage you to start praying in, in your daily time with the Lord about um, those things. Pray with your community group. Um, just asking you, you to pray. Go, go, go um, online and, and type in Charlotte stats, and you'll, you'll be floored by it. Start, play, start praying for the, the needs of our city. Start praying for salvation to be made, made known in everyone's hearts. Start praying. Number five, support the family. So I was floored by this. Mercy gives about 17% of our incoming offering to um, domestic church planning, to local missions, to international missions. Most churches only give about half of a percent. We want to model to you that we think that this is serious. One of the best ways for for you to join in on God's mission is is by giving away your money. It doesn't belong to you anyways. It it belongs to him. Giving releases you. It frees you. What he talks about, take no money, take, take no bag, take no knapsack. It frees you and it releases you into the arms of God. I'm not telling you to go sell, sell your house. I'm telling you to stop drinking so many lattes. Uh, <laughs> then number six, go to the unreached. Jesus says the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Why won't you go? Some of us, it's time to stop sitting and realize that God has sent you. And he's calling many of us to go.